So let's dive in here. Um, the book of Philippians is a book about, um, a, 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 it's a book of joy. The apostle Paul wrote what we call an epistle. Someone say epistle. 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 The word there means letter to the church in Philippi. And so Paul started the church in Philippi on his second missionary journey a few years after he had an encounter with Christ. Um, Paul has an amazing story. You can find his story in Acts chapter 10. Um, Paul was a persecutor of the church, so he arrested Christians and had them killed as well. Um, And on his road to Damascus, um, Jesus appears to him in the form of a bright light. About as bright as these lights are right now. I was up early, so it's real bright right now. Um, and I honestly can't see any of you. So, um, But yeah, it's about as bright as this light right here. And, um, and, and he knocks him off of this horse. Um, before Paul became Paul, his name was Saul. And the word Saul means um, exalted one or lifted up. Um, another nickname for that could be prideful. So he encountered Jesus, and Jesus knocked him off of his high horse and changed his name to Paul, which means humble. And essentially, um, having that grace moment with with Christ, um, that redemption, that forgiveness, that turnaround, God would use him to reach millions of people. I I would go as far as saying billions, if you would calculate 2,000 years out to this current moment. And so um, Paul goes on these missionary journeys across the Roman Empire. He's starting churches everywhere with Silas and, and people like Timothy, his, his spiritual son, and Barnabas. And um, he's starting these churches. And so he starts the Church of Philippi on his second missionary journey. And um, he's writing them a letter now, a few years later, from prison in Rome. From prison in Rome. And... Um, and he's under house arrest. So during the day, he's free to roam around the, the prison area. But at nighttime, he's shackled to um, a guard, a prison guard. And so he wrote to encourage the church in Philippi. And this letter is packed with gratitude for the church because that church was very generous, helped him out financially to spread the good news across the world. And it's packed with prayers for the believers. It's packed with love and a whole lot of joy. And so simply put, go and write this down. The epistle to the church in Philippi is Paul's most joyous letter, though in prison. And that just simply tells me that our circumstances don't have to dictate our internal situation. We can still have joy even when the odds are stacked against us or when we're seemingly in a position that we don't want to be in, we can still have joy. We may not be able to have happiness all the time because happiness is often based on what is happening. And if the thing is not happening, we might not be happy. But joy comes from within. And it doesn't matter if I'm shackled or what the diagnosis is. It just matters that I have the Holy Spirit. And and if I can center in on what he's doing through this situation, I can tap into that joy. And not just that, but I can minister to others from that place of joy. How do you write a joyous letter to other people when you're 
you know, in your, in your most challenging season. But Paul managed to do it, and so can we. So I want to walk us through the first 11 verses, and then I'm just going to pull out three points. Um, it's summertime. Um, I just poured out my soul, my guts in that last series. Um, so I'm going to try to keep this thing light and to the point. And here we go. Let's, let's pick it up. Let's read it. It says this here, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. This, is, this letter is from Paul and Timothy. I love this here. Slaves of Christ Jesus. Wow. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So this is a very classic um, greeting that Paul often gives. Grace and peace unto you. Whatever letter he writes, he's always blessing them, saying peace unto you. Verse 3, here it is. Let's get into it. Every time I think of you, and I know how you feel, Paul, I give thanks to my God. I may not call you, but I'm thinking about you, Carly. I always tell people that. I'm thinking about you. (laughs) It says this here. It says, whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners, this is so good, in spreading the good news about Christ. And he says this here, from the time you first heard until now. I am certain, here's one of y'all's favorite verses, that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with tender compassion, with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your, here it is, your love will overflow more and more, your love for God and your love for people. This is my prayer for you. And he says that, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. So we don't just come to Jesus, but we keep growing in, in love, we keep growing in our knowledge. We keep growing in our understanding. And it says this here, for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may, this is it, this is where blessing is, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. How many of you know he's coming back? Yes. Someone say he's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. May you, because see, they, they waited on him the first time for almost 4,000 years. And he came. He was born of a virgin. And, and, and history records that the last time he was here, he ascended on a cloud into heaven. So he's, he's coming back. Someone say he's coming back. He's coming back. And so Paul is encouraging them, you got to grow. You got to grow. We, we can't keep going around in the same circle. Right. We, we got to grow in understanding and knowledge. We got to love. We got to forgive. Right. We, we, we got to be more gentle. More. You got to grow. Got to live pure. Got to live blameless, not perfect, but pure, because he is coming back. And when he comes back, there's going to be the judgment seat of Christ. 
He's going to look at our lives and he's going to look, where is purity? Where is that blamelessness? Where is that character, right? He's, so we got we to gotta keep growing. We got to keep growing. And it says this here, for I want you to understand what really matters. Verse 11, let's skip. May you always, here it is, be filled with the fruit of your salvation. So the result of your salvation, here it is, this is it. The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. So you came to Christ, eyes on me, eyes on me. You came to Christ, right? You were saved. What is the fruit or the result of your salvation supposed to look like? Righteous character. So there should be a change in your life when you come to Christ, right? This is what the word of God is saying. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. All right, so that's his thanksgiving and his prayer. Today, I want to give you three things real quick. I want, to, I want to give you a certainty that Paul points out here. He has a certainty for the church. He has a prayer for the church. And he has a desire for the church as the spiritual father of Philippi. I can't wait to meet Paul in heaven. Give him a lot of hugs. I got a lot of questions for that brother. He's a, he's a powerful man and went through a lot for the gospel work. And it was the church in Philippi who helped support him from a distance so he could keep getting the gospel of Jesus Christ out. So number one, the certainty, number one, is um, Paul is certain that there is a greater work that God is doing within you. There is a greater work happening within. Someone say within. within. It, it may not look like it's happening without right now. That means out, outside, you know, but, but, but within. Um, I, um, I remember when I was seven years old, my, my father told me, um, with all love in his heart, because I'm the baby of 24, um, kids on my dad's side, and, um, I'm the, I'm the baby on my mom's side, she had two, but being the baby of 24, um, my, looking at my brother's lives, um, my dad, uh, one, he told me when I was seven, he said, son, I love your brothers, but they, as it stands right now in their lives, they're the perfect example of what not to become. And um, a truthful statement could have been hurtful for them, but it was very true. So at seven, I, I would, from there, not just my brothers, but I would watch how people lived, and I would say, that didn't work out too well. Um, Right, so I'm going to go in this direction. That brought pain. That brought division. That brought stress. That brought depression. I'm going to go in this direction. Right? When they said that to their boss, I didn't see them next week. Right? Um, I'm not going to. When they did that to the teacher or behind the teacher's back or to that student, it eventually caught up with them. So I'm going to go in this direction. And so what that statement did when I was seven was it planted a seed of wisdom on the inside of me. And it also awakened um, this awareness of my weaknesses. And I learned very early on in life that um, I need to um, support my weaknesses with other people. In the business world, you call it staff your weaknesses. Right. For example, your boy don't know how to cook. <laughs> right. Don't know how to cook. Um, but growing up, grandma 
threw down. Yep. Grandma was an amazing cook. Um, my mom, I can, she was dependable. Not that I'm not dependable, but my mom was super dependable. My dad was a hard worker. He worked in the yard, and I would often come out, you know, kind of slowly and ask him, hey, dad, you need some help in the yard? He's like, no, you can go back in. So I go back in and play video games. He did his thing in the yard. He was great in the yard. I don't know how to do anything in the yard. Um, my oldest boy has cut more grass in the past two weeks than I have in my 35 years of living. I just got him started. I said, well, you're going to. And so I have him out there. Right. So it's a matter of staffing my someone say that weaknesses. And um, I, I know my strengths and I know my weaknesses. One thing that I'm very bad at is getting right here and here by myself. Because when it's left up to me, I stay worried and I stay anxious and doubtful and negative, me. And, and when I'm here, I stay afraid and concerned and up at night and worried about people, right? But when I get out of, when I get out of the way, I've come to find out that God does his best work on the inside, right? And, 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 and so I've learned to get out of God's way and staff that part of my life over to the Holy Spirit. He does his best work on the, on the inside. Go ahead and write that down. God does his best work within. And what he does, this is the goal. And I think this is what Paul is attempting to pass on, this certainty of the work that he's doing. Um, this is always the goal of the Holy Spirit. Watch this. Two things. It's twofold. A peaceful mind and a joyful heart. That's what God always wants to work in your life. is a peaceful mind and a joyful heart. He says, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of his return. And that good work was sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I can't share how good Jesus is if I don't have a peaceful mind and a joyful heart. So before we even share about Christ or, or do excellent at the job so, so unbelievers can see us and say, oh, or, you know, overcome that, that trial. Like so unbelievers can say, how did you overcome that with so much joy? Before we can even get to the testimony or the sharing of the gospel, God has to work within in order for the work of the good news to get out so that more people can go to heaven. Now, these are three ways, real quick, that God works peace and joy from the inside. Three practical ways that God works peace and joy in our minds and in our hearts. Number one, when we pray. When we pray. When we pray. When we uh, release our worries to God. Jesus said you need to find a prayer closet. And you need to lay it all out before the Lord. I would go as far as to saying every single day. It ain't sexy. It's kind of old school. Got to wake y'all up. It's 9 o'clock. It's kind of old school. But it works. Someone say it works. It works. It works. Every day, if I can pass on my personal deal, every day for at least 10 minutes, I put it on a timer. I must pray. I must pray. I just um, left uh, my wife and my two kids 
out somewhere in Pennsylvania. I forget the city. It was so it was way out there somewhere. I don't know where it was. But I left him. It was a couple hours away. And so I had a couple hours just me and the Holy Spirit. So I listened to a few sermons. I listened to some worship. And then the Lord said, cut it all off. Because even worship could get in the way of what God wants to say and want to do in you. Because I think in culture, we're, we're numbing our, our fears and our feelings and the things we're going by just simply, let me put on some of this and let me listen to Hillsong, let me listen to Elevation. But we're really not talking to God. Right? We're really not saying, Lord, I'm weary. I'm scared. And these are the things I'm afraid of. Right? And God, God wants you to come to him with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Right? So, so when we pray, there's something there. When we express our gratitude. So I, I went into letting them know everything because I got a lot of things right now. Things that in January, February, I was not worried about. But I would say the past two or three weeks, I've been, I've been up at night. I've been waking up 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, turning over again. It's 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock. It's getting in the way of everything. And the only thing that the Holy Spirit has said to me about it, about all my words, he said, you haven't been praying. You've made your 10 minutes religious. But you haven't gone beyond that. You'll pray and then you'll leave. But you haven't sat still to hear, to hear from me. And so then in the morning, I expressed those worries. And he said, now, what are you grateful for? So I'm grateful for ABC, XYZ. Well, Philippians 4, we're going to preach about this in a few weeks. But it says this here, verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Right? Tell God what you need. There it is. And thank him for all he's done. So let him know your worries and then thank him for all he has done. Then, here it is. Someone say then. Then. You will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. That's crazy. How, How in prayer you don't always get the answer. Or the situation isn't always taken care of, but there's a wholeness. The word there for peace is an assurance that God is on the job. Then an assurance will will, will fill your mind to let you know that it's going to be all right. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So he's saying pray so you can persist in faith. Right. The second way that God works peace and joy is when others pray for us. It's when others pray for us. And, and this is how I see it. Um, we have to learn to share. We have to learn to share so that we can receive care. We have to learn to share so that we can receive care. And, and having now walked with Christ for 16 years and pastored almost nine, Christians are horrible at sharing our struggles, myself included. But every single time I've shared and I've allowed care in, peace and joy come. So we got to learn to share. We got to learn to, and we got to learn to share with the right parties. 
Not everyone in your light group is the right person to share with, right? Not, 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 you know, your, your, your light group leader may not be the right one to share with. But you need to discern, who can I share this with? James 5, 16 says this, confess your sins to each other. This is the brother of Christ. And pray for each other so that you may be healed or made whole. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Not just your sins, but your struggles, your issues. You got to share these things. You got you to you share these things. And then the third way he works peace and joy is when we are content. So I, I pray, I'm getting people to pray for me, and now I need to practice being content. Being content. Simply put, um, I, I'm, I'm, how can I put this? One of the main things the Holy Spirit has been working in my heart personally in this season is this idea of, um, he's been saying three words, don't rush it. Don't rush it. I said, Lord, I got a book title. I'm going to write a book one day. Don't rush it. That's cool. Don't rush it. Um, and, and he's been not forcing, but almost pulling gratitude out of me. And, and almost just leading me every day to, hey, open your mouth and tell me what you're grateful for today. Because if you're not careful, Brandon, you will always feel that you're lacking something. You always feel that you're lacking money, relationships, um, a certain place where you should live, vehicle, clothing. You, you, you're going to believe you should be further than where you are if you're not careful. And what that does is you're here today. And that's taking your mind and your heart somewhere that doesn't even exist. Right? So God has been telling me, don't rush it. Because in Christ, Chuck, the truth is, is that we have all we need. In Christ. So, 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 so we can clap that up. In Christ. So, so this is it. Content means I have everything I need. And I'm set, if you're going to write this down, I have everything I need in Christ, and I'm satisfied with where I am. Yes. Yeah. That's good. But you have to practice that. Yeah. You, you have to speak that. You have to stop every day yeah. and say, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good with the spouse I have. Good. I'm good with my children. Mm-hmm. Good. I'm good with my living situation. I want more. But I'm whole. And, 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 and I'm lacking nothing. And I'm telling you, when contentment comes in, that, that peace is there. That joy is there. Because you're not reaching for what someone else has. You're not reaching for where someone else is. But, but you're, you're steady where you are. And when God sees that, he's like, you're like a grateful child. I got two of them. And when they're not grateful, I don't want to do nothing for them. Okay. Okay. 
and, and, and we're wondering why. We, we think we should be here right now right. or there right now. But have you, have you been content, right? And, and it's when contentment sets in that God begins to, to move. But as long, and, and this is the thing. The Bible says that God knows our thoughts. So it's not enough to just say, Lord, I'm content. He knows. The Bible says that Jesus knew the thoughts of men. Could you imagine being around Jesus? No. <laughs> Jesus, I'm so happy to be in church. I just want to serve, man. I just want to serve you. She's like, you lying. <laughs> you lying. You're right. First Timothy 6.6 6 says this. True godliness, watch this, with contentment itself is great wealth. Is itself great wealth. Contentment. Do, do, do I want more? Yes. But I'm okay where I'm, where I'm at. Yeah. And, and if I would steward what I have well, God will increase it. Yeah. If I would water my own wife, yeah. God will increase the love and mm-hmm. the intimacy in my home. So I don't have to go to the lounge or to the club or chill out. No, if, if I'm content with her, if I help her get better in her mind, in her body, in her soul, I'll reap the benefit of that. It's the same in every area of your life. If you're content with it and if you're determined to make it better, you reap the benefits. But as long as your soul is somewhere that doesn't even exist, you're going to always be in perpetual anxiety. Right? Next one, number two, a prayer. Paul, Paul prayed a greater knowledge of God. A greater knowledge of God. There, there are two ways to grow in our knowledge. I got to speed up a little bit of God. If you're taking notes, number one is through reading the Word of God. If you're taking notes, reading the Word of God. Two ways to grow in our knowledge knowing God, reading the Bible with an open heart, with good soil. And then number two, uh, and then uh, life experiences. So, so I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it, right? So when you read it, we talked about this past three weeks. When you read it, you trust it, you honor it, you believe it. But then guess what? You got to go live. Right? And so you, you believe that promise, you believe that principle, you believe that value, you exchange your thoughts for it, but then life is going to test the Word of God. Yeah. So this is what I've come to find out, Brandon. Because Paul says that you would overflow with love for people, with love for God, and then that you would grow in your knowledge and understanding of God. Yeah. This is what I've come to find out. The more you grow in Christ, the more trials come your way. God is allowing it to test your belief in his word. And watch this. If you pass the test, Erwin, your knowledge of him will grow. Okay. So hold on. Wait, wait, wait. I had not known that God was a healer. I read about it. But I had not known that God was a healer 
until I saw my father come out of that hospital bed. Or my son, my oldest son, a couple years ago, come out of that hospital bed. When we thought he could have died. I had not known that God was a, a restorer, that he restored all things until our house burned. And we were displaced five different places in eight months while leading a church. I had not known that he was a full redeemer. I, he redeemed my soul. But I, in this life, in this life, I, I know he's taking me to heaven. But when you're holding on to Jesus, right? Your house burned eight, eight, eight months, five different places to live. All the while building a church, I had not known that he was really a restorer until we came back to a brand new house. I had not known that he was a provider. After living in the negative perpetually for about eight years, as soon as I got married, as soon as I said yes to marriage, as soon as I adopted Jaziel as my own son, I had not known that God was a provider. But as soon as I did all those things and obeyed God, the worst season of my life hit for nine years straight. But I had not known that he was a provider until I went through all of that. I read it in the word, but I had to live it out by faith. A greater knowledge of God. Now I know. And a lot of you are wondering, why am I going through this? Because you had Paul the Apostle praying over you. And his prayers are working in your life. And you don't even know him. But you read his letters almost every day. He prayed, Lord. May not just the church in Philippi, but Highlight Church, the church in Maryland, the church in Virginia, grow in a greater knowledge of God. But how do you truly grow? Not in theory. Well, it's truth, but you get what I'm saying. For all of you super Christians. It's true. Three weeks of that. I promise you. I believe that. But not in theory. Okay. Through experience. And so when you become a Christian, you can't, and for those of you who are um, not believers yet, because we believe you, we believe for you, heaven is your home, God loves you, you're forgiven. When you become a believer, let me help you. As soon as you say yes to Christ, Satan's going to turn it up a little bit. But you got to let him do it so that you would learn about God a little more. Wow, he is, he is a miracle worker. He is a provider. He is a protector. He's all of those. I love what it says. So, so this is one of y'all's favorite verses too. Some of y'all got this tattooed on you. <laughs> or it's on your fridge. It, 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 it's somewhere. But before we get to the verse, I need to give you this equation. Write this down. Belief plus experience equals a greater knowledge of God. Belief. When I read it, I believe it. But on Monday, God's going to let me experience something that tests it. And when he brings me through it, I have a greater knowledge and understanding of his character and his love and his grace for my life. Mm -hmm. Paul learned this after his third missionary journey. He had been on missions for Christ for over two decades, and he finally wrote this. Romans 8, 28. After 20 years, what did he write? One of your favorite verses. He wrote this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God 
and are called according to his purpose for them. How do you know, Paul? How do you know? If I had time, I'd take you to Corinthians, where he talks about being shipwrecked, being robbed, being hungry, being cold, being betrayed by people he thought was believers, being called a heretic, being beaten almost to death. He said, now, now I know. God is trying to build your knowledge of him. Just to give you some perspective about where you are. Because I've been, I've been wondering too, y'all. We all walking through this thing together. I'm still learning too. But I, I read Philippians as I was studying for this sermon. And, and the Lord said, I'm still growing your knowledge of me. Because you tend to forget that I, the thing you're worried about right now, I actually took care of last year. It was a similar situation. But I got to remind you. Because you're forgetting. But I'm teaching you how to grow in knowledge. Number three, he prayed a desire. And, and, and the desire was a greater way of life. A greater way of life. Let me encourage you. For those of you who are believers, when you gave your heart to Jesus, when you gave your life to Jesus, watch me. I need you to, I need you to understand this because you're still seeking for the way when you've already found it. When you gave your life to Jesus... He gave you the key to a greater life. Yes. He gave you the key to a greater life. The key to the greatest life. Yes. There is no other way. There's no other philosophy. There's no other prophet. There's no other religion. Jesus. Someone say Jesus. Jesus. He, he gave you the way. And this is what Paul is saying. The fruit of your salvation. The outcome is, here it is, righteous character. So that lets me know something here, um, Lance. That following Christ is not a means to gain something in this world. But when I came to Christ... It was an introduction to a new way of living. That will lead into a life of fulfillment. And a life of peace. And a life of joy. And a life of purpose. I received the key to a greater, a greater way. Before Christ, I was always trying to find it in women. And money. And status. On social media. But none of those things could fulfill. But when I found Christ and I laid all that down, I let all my friends go and I started following his way. So how does Jesus think about this? What would Jesus do in this scenario? Right, what would Jesus say in this scenario? The character, the, the, the inward belief that drives outward behavior. I didn't know what I know now 16 years later is that I found the way of life the way the way of life I want to encourage you in your relationships in your finances in your health do it God's way do it God's way a greater way of life and then Paul said if you do you're going to bring glory to God 
you're going to bring glory to God. He says, that's my desire. Jason, you can come on, close me out. Jesus said this in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life.